Uh, welcome to the Always Never Write podcast, a podcast for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and wondering how the fuck that happened. I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina Biggs. And tonight we're going to do part two about um, self-esteem. And tonight is going to be a little bit more about how to not be as bothered by what others think about you, which is the height of irony for me to say that. Um, <laughs> first, of course, we'll discuss our cocktails. <laughs> we, okay, so tonight... So many people find themselves in a hole when it comes to self-esteem and, and knowing where to draw the line. So we chose The Suffering Bastard. This one combines each of our animal spirit, spirit animal spirits. <laughs> say that five times fast. I can't even say it once fast. There you go. <laughs> um, so basically it's gin and bourbon along with lime juice and ginger ale. And it's actually kind of wackadoo. I'm, I'm feeling this a lot. It, even though it's only an ounce of each spirit, it seems really strong to me. Um, it's also got just a dash of Angostura bitters for a little bit of flavor, but this is some pretty strong shit. Ah, yes, indeed it is. And here's how I, I, I texted Jill before we started recording and said, this drink is deceptive and it is twofold why I find it deceptive. Why is that? Number one, there's no way you think this blend of flavors should work. Agreed. I mean, I, I mean, you, you expect gin and bourbon are Gin's gross and bourbon's delicious, and you would think, meh. Because uh, both are delicious, but in wildly different ways. I stand by my fucking gin. Um, I will say, I did not do McQueen in the Violet Fog tonight. I went with the botanist because I wanted a little bit of ginny-ness and not in a bad way. So, you know, the botanist is a little ginny, but not gross. Oh, you see, it was between I- botanist or aviation. Ah, Reynolds to come on the show, but um, I decided to go botanist today. Well, since that fucker hasn't joined us yet, we boycott his gin until he agrees to I'm not play. Doing that. First of all, he's way too hot. Oops, sorry, I yawned. <laughs> First of all, he's way too hot. Um, secondly, his gin is probably my tied for second gin. Like, seriously, between the botanist and aviation, it's it's sort of tied. McQueen and the Violet Fog is just so far above those two as far as gin goes. Ah. Yeah, and, and I'll admit I could never I could never boycott Ryan Reynolds in any capacity. Just can't. No. 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 Funny uh, and hot? No. Like I know. We're Paul Rudd. Oh, my gosh. Can't do that either. No mother, of, mother of Gorpiness. That's not That's happening. Not Gorpiness, what is that? I I am I have personal issues with taking the Lord's name in vain, and even though God is a title and not you mentioned that several times, but Gorpiness? It was I panicked. I panicked and <laughs> overcorrected. Oops. That was a little okay. odd. A little odd. Anyway. This is, you know. So I'm gonna go to number two, then I'm gonna revisit, then we'll revisit ingredients. All right, Kurt. Okay, I'm not going to actually go number two. I'm just going to mention number two. Thank you. No problem. (laughs) The second thing I was going to say is the first few sips of it, I'm like, oh, you know, for something that has so much pure alcohol in it, um, it drinks down like a soda and doesn't seem to hit you so fast. And then all of a sudden I whammed. Yeah, I stood up and I was like, whoa. (laughs) But it doesn't have any like real sweetness, even with the ginger ale. Like I thought, okay, well, the ginger ale will add some sweetness. So maybe if I made this again, I might add a little bit of 
I don't know, simple syrup or something to add a little bit of sweetness because it's it's sort of meh as far as that goes. And with all the lime juice in it, it was very um, soury. So what? Uh, so let's examine this a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so what? Okay, you used um, botanical gin. What? Botanist gin. Botanist gin. I was close. Yeah. Mm. And I used uh, Blanton's bourbon. Of course, of course. Because you can. Because you can. Because you motherfucking bitch. Okay, so Blanton's, I went to um, a liquor store this weekend. I went to a different one thinking, you know, I'll find some stuff. I couldn't uh-huh. find them. My usual one because they were sold out. And, of course, this place had even less than my usual one has. And I was like, motherfucker. And I was not happy. So I had to order some of the spirits. Um, that'll be coming soon, which I'm excited about. But I'm pissed that I had to order them. Because now I got a Blanton's. I cannot find a bottle currently for under $200. But when I went into this liquor store, I asked about Blanton's and they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I figure it can't hurt to ask because you never know. And then I mentioned one of my friends, I didn't name check you. I apologize. I'm sure in the liquor store world, you're. Yeah, um, shit in the liquor store world in St. Louis. Everybody knows me. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> I would be surprised. Um, And I'm like, well, you know, one of my friends remarkably found one at this little hole in the wall thing in this Midwestern city. And he goes, oh, see, that's what you got to do. You got to go to the places where there aren't a lot of bourbon drinkers. Then you're more likely to find it. And I was all, oh. And he goes, but there's a lot of bourbon drinkers in St. Louis. The thing that's funny is, like, I went to a random, like, I was a little, okay, I admit I had had a couple of drinks. We went out to dinner. I was still a little smashed after dinner and and we had gone to this new place and there was a brand new liquor store and I'm like, hey, you guys, there's a liquor store. Can I go to it? And Rexy and, and T were like, oh, okay. And so they stood <laughs> the car while I went to the liquor store and I walked in and I bought a couple things and I was, walked up to the counter and I'm like, you wouldn't have any Blantons, would you? And he's like, sure. Holy crap. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I and he got out be- something else first. And I'm like, no, no, Blanton's. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he pulled out a thing of Blanton's, like legit pulled out some Blanton's. And I was like, oh, you do have Blanton's. You're going to have to be my Blanton's broker because I'm having no luck on my own. I had no idea. So it was just like one of those complete random, oh, my God, you do? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> and um, it was more expensive there. It was like, it was more expensive there than, than what I usually pay. Like, I think I usually pay, like, $70, and it was, like, $90 there. But still, I was like, okay. Ooh, $90. Oh, you poor baby. Well, you know, I think for some people, they would be like, you paid $90 for booze? But oh, yeah. I think we're craft. I think I consider us mixologists, you know? Me- and I think as mixologists, and, and I consider, <laughs> sadly, I consider craft cocktails to be my hobby same oh my gosh I was just talking to someone the other day about how I was a really shitty bartender when I was 21 I was a waitress slash Uh bartender I could pull a draw real easy but I had to ask people how to make a fucking bloody mary (laughs) wow (laughs) I know it's really sad but now I like creating new things and having fun so all kinds of fun so anyway it's really fun to make new flavors and see what melts together and I have, uh, like I said the other day, I think Rexy got me this really cool infusion kit for Christmas. And I've been experimenting with infused flavors. Like this last week, I made this beautiful infused bourbon that was 
I made the bourbon and I put a few coffee beans in it and I let that sit up for a day or so. Took the coffee beans out and then I added cocoa nibs and a vanilla bean. And I made this like mocha cocoa amazing like it was really fucking good. And I put that with some like because I love the flavor of that cocoa with the peach and bourbon. Those two things, those flavors together are just like unreal. And then add that with ginger beer and oh my God, that's amazing. That sounds incredible. So So good. I want to cry. It's so beautiful. It's so good. I've been doing the same thing though, which is actually why I chose the exact blend I chose to make my suffering bastard today. What did you put in it? I, you know, I considered for a moment using my favorite gin, which is the blue. Blue by Civil Alchemy. Damn straight, which you will be having copious amounts of while you're here. And no, I you won't. Will. Oh, you will. I'll have some. Oh, doll. Oh, girl. My beloved. No. You should. Anyway. I'm not so. having copious amounts of gin ever. <laughs> Just get this straight. I never thought I'd have copious amounts of whiskey, but here we are. So, yeah, well, I've been, I have given gin all the tries. I'm trying very hard. And it's what you said about that monkey 47 bullshit gin you're like this is the best gin ever and i think if we check the tape you'll see it's on there (laughs) we're gonna try this gin and you'll love it i think if you go back and revisit the episode before we started gin you'll see that okay and i we we will try though Uh, you'll i will absolutely try it yes i will give it a try and we might and i will keep you dear listeners in my thoughts, and I will absolutely update you on whether or not this gin is the shit or not. Because <laughs> right now, if it doesn't meet up to the McQueen and the Violet Fog standards, I'm not drinking it. So we might even Facebook story this one or something. We, we might, might have to do that. We might. Anyway, um, so speaking of McQueen and the Violet Fog, though, I decided I looked at the bourbons I had in stock mm-hmm. um, and I had a typical Jefferson small batch. I had my mm-hmm. Blanton's, which I'm stingy as fuck with because I have two thirds of a bottle left and I'm motherfucking guarding it with my life. <laughs> um, I had Angel's Heavy Rye, which, again, I'm having trouble finding lately in the St. Louis area. So I'm guarding it now until I know for sure I can get a backup. Okay, that one you can always get when you come here. My local liquor store carries it on the regular. Awesome. Good, good, good. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I've got a choice between Jefferson's Ocean 19th Voyage or Jefferson's um, Bourbon. Because um, I'm currently out of Pritchard Hill because I drank it all. Um, <laughs> It was so totally worth it. Uh, and I'm going to get the 12th voyage um, before you come up. I haven't had it. Oh, but anyway. Uh, oh, go ahead. Time out mm-hmm. or not time out. You were going to tell me the difference between the two different kinds of Pritchard's Hill. So you can do that after this. Go okay. ahead and finish your story. Gotcha. And yeah, so I'll come back to that because I'm a little confused about Anyway, no, so I, I knew I was going to use Jefferson's um, small batch bourbon. Because, right. um, again, I'm guarding the 19th voyage with everything I got because I'm a stingy ass bitch. Um, and so I decided I'd use the Jefferson's small batch. Um, so, but it has a definite spicy undertone to it. Okay. 
Um, so I wanted a very, very mild gin. So I didn't think blue, which is very, very floral, would necessarily work in the strength that well. And I'm like all proud of myself because I'm thinking about how certain things might blend. I'm like, ooh, spicy and floral. Smarty pants. I know. So I used McQueen and the Violet Fog. Which That's is a so very good. I know. I was very proud of me for thinking this through and not resorting to like the Bombay Sapphire or some shit. So Ew. Yeah, I know. I still have a bottle of that downstairs. I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do with it because I never drink it. It's too juniper. People when they come over and people are like, Would you like a gin and tonic? You're like, Yeah, and then you can give them that. They like that. There we go. I foisted on the unsuspecting. Good yes, idea. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm like, well, you know, if I'm using the Jefferson's small batch bourbon and the McQueen and the Violet Fog, that should go very nicely. I didn't know what lime juice and bourbon was going to be like, but I knew the ginger ale would complement both of them. Yep. And mine is actually like, and, and bear in mind, my very, very, very favorite clear soda of all time is 7-Up. This is like the 7-Up of cocktails, and I'm so fucking happy right now. I can hardly stand really? it. Yeah. Well, I like, I use ginger beer with my bourbon cocktails all the time. So I knew ginger ale was going to be fine. And I always put, because my pretty much go-to drink, if it's not an old-fashioned, it's a Kentucky Mule. So mm-hmm. that's got the lime in it, and it's always, you know, bourbon, lime, ginger beer, you're there. Nice. So, I mean... I like lime and bourbon. Nice. It kind of brightens it up a little. I I didn't think about that because usually, I mean, I have a mule from time to time with bourbon in it, but usually I have like a Moscow mule or a DC mule on my frequent DC trips. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a DC mule, quote unquote, which is basically, okay, let's be real. It's a Moscow mule. Um, Is it vodka? It's vodka. Okay. So why is it called a DC mule? Um, they put some kind of locally some source something in it. I don't remember what because, and I can't be arsed to Google it right now. So you'll just have to live Fine, in wonder. Uh, yeah, but they serve it in like a uh, silver cup. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Silver instead of copper. Yeah, there we go. Sure. All right. We'll say it's that. Yeah, we'll say it's that. But um, I've been I've been very I've been paying very close attention to how certain flavors blend, and I fucking nailed it tonight, and I'm so proud of me right now. I can understand yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I thought about it too. I mean, I thought about would I like the botanical gin or would I like the like the sweeter gin, and I decided to go with that botanical gin because I wanted a little more ginny flavor with it. And with the bourbon, I wanted a less sweet bourbon. So Mm. that's why I went with the blends. Good plan. Good plan. So I went with the mild gin and the more flavorful bourbon. And you went with the more flavorful flavorful gin and the milder bourbon. Yeah. And I I think that's hilarious given our typical preferences. I agree. Because randomized shit like that cracks me up. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a weirdo. Yeah. So... I was at the liquor store the other day, and this is kind of related to that. And I was looking at the Jefferson's Pritchard Hill. And there was two sections of it. There was one that was like $59 and one that was $69. And I literally couldn't tell the difference. And I couldn't really find anybody. Well, there was a guy that was sort of humming around, and I sort of didn't really care to ask him because I was kind of hurrying. But I kind of also didn't care. But I thought maybe you would know. Because I know that's your kind. 
Well, I do know that one is, I've only seen one personally, but I know it is um, aged in a Cabernet cask, which gives it a... They were both Cabernet. They were? Yep. Well, I don't know. As far as I could tell, looking at the front label, they were exactly the same. Well, I don't know what the hell the difference would be then. I think they fucked up their pricing. Maybe. I used to work retail. I know that's possible. I'm sure it is. So... Well, should we get going? Because did it have a red label? No, not yes. yet. They were the I must same. finish this. They were the okay. same. They looked identical. They, they I just like, fucked. looked at them word for word. They just fucked up their pricing then. But what I will tell you is that makes an excellent version of my own personal crafted cocktail that we'll have to do in an episode coming soon called the Spice Apple Barm. Oh, yeah. I love the barm. Yeah. That uses... Um, B-A-R-M, not B-A-R-N like Nancy. Because knowing me, it could be barn very well. It so could. no, in this case, it's barm. But yes, when you come up, I'm going to have that because I ordered it. And I will make you the spiced apple barm with that one because it is really amazing. Yeah. And for those I, of you who don't know, barm is that kind of froth that comes out when you ferment liquor. liquor. So there you go. Um, anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll shut my trap now. Let's go ahead and start talking about why we care about other people's opinions, especially those of like total strangers. And, you know, why do we do things or not do things because of what we think other people are going to do mm. or say? Like, have you ever gone to a restaurant with a group of people and maybe it's a restaurant that's like totally famous for their spaghetti and meatballs and the people that you're with are like, oh, I'll just have the Caesar salad. And so even though the restaurant's famous for their spaghetti and meatballs, you kind of feel pressured. And so you get the Caesar salad too, even though you really wanted the spaghetti and meatballs. And who are you speaking to? I'm speaking to you. Yeah. So 75% of the time, I'm bound to peer pressure. Yes. But I may have a subversive little shit about it. So I'd probably do that, but I'd have red wine with my salad instead of white wine because I'm a fucking rebel. Oh, look at you. Why do you think why do you think you would do that? Like it's not necessarily peer pressure because nobody's like, oh Gina, you should get the salad. Nobody's telling you to do that. You can get whatever you want. You're on your own ticket. <laughs> so why do you feel like you would get the Caesar salad over the spaghetti and meatballs that you truly wanted to get? <laughs> okay, so I'm not a normal person, so I don't have a normal answer for this. Um, but yeah, I so think you are a normal person in this respect? Maybe part of it is, but I don't. I don't necessarily think so. I have spent so much of my life trying to figure out how normal people operate that I would be scared shitless to go against the norm. Uh, Okay, well, it's partial. I'd say two thirds, it's I'm so scared shitless to go against the norm in my younger years that I probably would have done it because I uh, find myself so often trying to mimic what normal people do. It's how I raise. And now I'd probably do it um, because I didn't want to, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) So, okay. So, but growing up, I mean, I shit you not, growing up, I used to do stuff because I'd see other people do it and I'd think, oh, that's what normal people do. So I shall try that, even though it's weird to me. So for me, <laughs> yeah, there's that. 
I pretty much wouldn't have gotten the Caesar salad. And it's not necessarily because I didn't care what people thought about me because I did. It's just because I wouldn't have been aware that getting not the same thing as everybody else would make me stick out. Mm. I see that. But but you're, you're, you're your own person and you kind of always have been, which is one no. reason. Well, to me, by comparison, okay? <laughs> well, you didn't know me till I was in my 20s. Oh, true. But I, like I said, I spent so much time trying to emulate normal. I went with I just with tried to not have anybody notice me. That's that's all I tried to do. Uh-huh. So. <sighs> you fucking suck at that, by the way. <laughs> One of the things I learned fairly early on was that most of the time people aren't thinking about you anyway. (laughs) So you go to a party and you're painfully shy and you don't know anybody at this party and you have to be there because it's, I don't know, the law. You go to this thing, it's a business thing, it's a school thing, whatever it is, and you have to be there. And you don't know anybody there and you're absolutely dying because inside you're thinking everybody's looking at you you don't know anybody everybody's judging you but all you want is just to stand in the corner and either disappear or please god let somebody come over and talk to you the thing i learned early on is that if you find the other person in the room who's just trying to disappear into the woodwork and please god let somebody come over and talk to me find that person and talk to them and you win. And that's how we're friends today. <laughs> All you have to do is find that person because they don't give a shit who you are. You could have spinach in your teeth. They won't even care. You could pee your pants in front of them and they'd be like, that's fine. You're talking to me. I'm okay with that. Because they really don't care. They're, everybody else is so wrapped up in all that's going on in their own heads about what people are thinking about them that they really aren't paying attention to you. And one of the things I see on TV sometimes, like, do you watch the show Botched? Mm-mm. So Botched oh. is this plastic surgery show. Oh, I'm in. <clears throat> Love the show. It's all about these people who have had plastic surgery or they've had some sort of thing that kind of like messed them up. Like maybe they had an accident, their nose got broken, and so their nose is big. But some of them, they don't look that bad, but they're like, oh, I can't even leave the house. I can't go out in public because I look so terrible. Now, occasionally there are people that I'm like, yeah, if I were you, I wouldn't go out in public either. But, and, and I'm not saying that to be mean. Like there was this one woman who just literally had a hole where her nose used to be. And she had to wear like a prosthetic. Oh, it was so bad. But most of them are like, yeah, your nose is big, but so what? So there's a lot of people. But they're like, oh, I can't go anywhere because my nose is so big. I know everybody's staring at me. First of all, nobody's staring at you. Get over yourself. Why do you think everything's about you? <laughs> and and I think that's kind of the lesson that people really aren't thinking about you. People mm. might look at you and think, oh, that lady's nose is big. And then they move on with their day. <laughs> that's, that's like all the thought they give it. It's not like they're dwelling on that and like, Oh my God, that woman's nose is so big. She's such a troll. How can she even leave her house? She should be at home. People like that should not be out loud out on the street. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know insane. What? 
You know what, though? I, I, I agree 70%. Um, there's 30% of me that um, knows that there are some people who have such an innate charisma and presence that when they walk into a room, no matter what the hell they do, they're going to be noticed. And I think, not to sound like a clinical narcissist, because I know some of those and I'm not one, but I worry about it constantly, whether I'm delving into one, because that's how I am. Um, but you walk into a room, people notice you. I walk into a room, people notice me. It's because, for one thing, we're both tall. We have, we're broad-shouldered. Yeah. We can't help but be noticed. Now, are they thinking about us all evening? Probably not, because we're not that fucking special. Although they were pretty fucking cool, but you know. <laughs> but um, they're not looking at our noses and going, "What the fuck is wrong with her nose?" Or Look your at nose. That girl's hair. Her hair is stupid looking. And they're oh. not just like dwelling on that kind of stuff. They might notice us when we walk in the room, and that's going to be the extent of it. Oh, wow. Are we getting to like body dysmorphia? Because I was about to say something very, you know, those 10 year things on Facebook going on right now, like yeah. post a picture of yourself from 2009 versus now. And I realized when I posted a picture, I actually look younger overall now than I did in 2010. But my nose is bigger. Your and nose I, is bigger? My nose is bigger. I love my nose now. I think it's because your head is smaller. Could be, but um, at that point I had, well, I was maybe 30 pounds heavier than I am now, but, um, but my nose seems bigger in that picture. And I'm like, that's the only thing that really looks older. My nose is bigger, which maybe is just, just this, maybe it was just the picture. Maybe, but I, think, I don't think your nose is big. I don't. Oh, oh, it's always been big, but not in a bad way. I just have a prominent nose. But I think it's actually gotten bigger. I think my ears have gotten bigger, too. But I don't give a shit as much now because I'm 47 and fuck that noise. I don't have time to be well, concerned about that shit anymore. I mean, I've always been, like, hung up about my profile. I've never liked it because I don't have a dent in my nose and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it's one of those things that I'm not going to ever get to the point where I'm like, oh, my God, I can't leave the house because people are going to look at me because I don't have a dent in my nose and I'm going to look like a weirdo and people are going to think I'm weird. And, you know, it's just one of those things that people aren't paying attention to me. They're too wrapped up in worrying about whether or not people are paying attention to them. I like that. If everyone else in the world is as self-focused as I am, I feel a little better about myself. They are. Who's not? Name one person that you know who doesn't think about how they look all the time. Oh, my gosh. Even my sainted mother kind of worries about how she looks, which I think is silly because all everyone notices is how amazing she is. And she's so beautiful just in a different way now that she's 82, which is to be fucking expected. People are always concerned about how people are viewing themselves like Joe always thinks about how he Joe is being viewed. Ben always thinks about how Ben is being viewed. Mm. Terry always thinks about how Terry is being viewed. And DB always thinks about how DB is being viewed as yeah. opposed to anything else. Stick to. You know, it's, yeah. that's the thing. Like, men and women both are all consumed with what are people thinking about me? They're not thinking about you. Mm. Get over yourself. Awesome. You know, there's a book I haven't read in like 27 years. 
What's it called? Get over yourself? <laughs> um, <laughs> amazingly enough, no, but it's Why Do You Care What Other People Think by Richard Feynman. I've never even heard of that. Oh my gosh. It is a good book. And I, I got to admit, I 27 years later, I haven't read it in 27 years, um, but it was Feynman that I think he was a physicist. I can't remember off the top of my head. I should Google it. I'm going to Google it in the meantime. Um, okay. But he's... Um, he was a world-renowned, uh, yes, Richard, a theoretical physicist. Oh, I remembered. But one of the books he wrote was, What Do You Care What Other People Think? I think, oh my gosh, his Wikipedia page is fucking huge. Um, and I remember thinking, why wouldn't I care what other people think? That kind of has a huge impact on my entire life. Um, and he was right. Well, I think we can kind of parlay this into what I wanted to talk about next, which is your friends. You know, you always, if you are thinking about what other people think, you always want to have somebody that you can ask and somebody who you know is going to tell you how you look or what you're doing and if you're making good choices or bad choices, or if you're just completely batshit crazy, or if you should be taking the risk on whatever it is that you're considering doing. But I think you always have to kind of temper everything, you know, make sure that the friends that you have that you're counting on to give you advice and, and counsel are doing it for the right reasons. That is an excellent point. That is a very excellent point. I think you don't, you want to make sure that if you have a friend who, you know, hurts your feelings or who doesn't prioritize you, who stands you up, who isn't trustworthy or doesn't seem to respect you, maybe is a toxic friend. I think it's important to distance yourself from them either dump them outright or just find a way to kind of gently start pulling away and sort of let the friendship run its course. Hmm. Both of those are valid. Um, one is going to result in a much bigger pushback from the toxic friend. And the other one hopefully will allow the, uh, the toxic friend to make the choice to pull away from you. That is very, I can't think of a better term now than astute. Um, Because the friends who are real friends will always be there no matter what you do. The friends who are there for a reason um, are the ones most likely to denigrate you. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. I may have to pour some of the strength back for the end of the evening or I'm getting way too philosophical in my own head. <laughs> well, this is kind of a philosophical topic. Um, you know, when we start thinking about that kind of thing and looking at how we interact in the world and how we interact with ourselves and being more introspective about what it is we want to look at and how we navigate the world I mean you can't ever totally disregard other people's opinions because you have to there's a certain amount of 
pleasing others that comes with doing a good job at work. Mm. You know, you have to please your boss. You have to please your board or whoever it is that writes your paycheck. You have to please that person by doing your job the best you can. So, you know, it's important to think about what they think. Um, But when you start to think about what, when you start to worry about what someone else is thinking, you have to kind of think about why that is. Mm. And and I'd like to expand on that a little bit, if you don't mind very quickly, just because it came up the other day, someone mentioned that they were were like, um, and they looked at um, one of my peers and said, I prefer you do this deposition because you're scarier. And I'm like, I get that. But which is as an attorney, being scary is an effective strategy and do it a deposition. But there's also something to not being scary that lulls people into a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. So just because people think, um, because of your profession, your looks, your manner, whatever, that you should be a certain way, doesn't mean that you can't disregard that and just turn into your own skid. Um, Some of that, though, is them not being able to see the long game. Because hmm. I got to admit, I've tried to do the scary thing, and I oh, suck I know. at it. You do suck <laughs> at it. I, suck I remember at that. You suck at yeah, it. Yeah, I do. But if I just act like the, oh, I'm nice and sweet, and I'm just going to keep talking to you, and oh, guess what? You just 180 yourself in your testimony because I tricked you into it not tricked you into it but I led you there by just being nice and I got you off yeah. your guard that's that works best for me don't be untrue to yourself right. just in order to fit a stereotype right absolutely and you know I think that following that to its natural conclusion you have to start to think about um why it is you care about what the other person's thinking And then sort of think about, you know, you're concerned about what the outcome of whatever it is that they're thinking. And so start to think about what would the worst case scenario be? So, you know, if, if, if in your situation, if that person is like, no, I want this person to do it. And, and you're trying to convince them that you need to do it. You need to talk to them and say, what's the worst case scenario if, if I did this testimony? I did this deposition and, you know, follow it through to its natural outcome. And and I think that you can do that in any situation. Anytime you're, you're starting to be concerned about something, follow it through and say, what's going to happen if, if this thing that I want doesn't happen, or this thing that is going to make me happy doesn't happen. Or if I don't do this thing because I'm concerned about what other people are going to think, what's going to happen? Is this holding me back? Is this intimidating me? And what are the steps that happen? Like, what's the worst case scenario? If I don't, if I really had an opportunity to go do this great job mm-hmm. and I did it, what's the worst case scenario? And yeah. then if I didn't do it, what's the worst case scenario? And then like lay that out there. Okay. So if I did it and I get there and I'm miserable, then what happens? Yeah. I'm I mean, miserable, but I'm doing a job I really wanted to do. At the end of the day, isn't the worst case scenario always you being, okay, aside from dying or whatever, isn't the worst case scenario always being you're desperately unhappy with what happened? 
But the best yeah. case scenario is you're amazingly happy with it. Yeah. So if the chances are you're going to be desperately unhappy for not trying, you may as well try because you're still right. going to status quo it. Right. Either way, you could be desperately unhappy. So you might as well try something different. Right. Right. And that's, yeah, that's huge. I mean, you may not may always make the right choice. I mean, the job I have now is actually the job that was competing with the one I got fired from. Um, and when I initially got fired, I was like, oh, Lord, I made the wrong choice. It is awful. But you know what? That job has made me even better at the job I currently have, which I adore. True. And it has lined me up for some potentially great things. So I can't, at the end of the day, even though I spent two or three weeks in bed watching Dr. Pimple Popper, I can't regret taking the other job because I'm still in a very good place. Well, and I truly believe that every experience you have, every relationship, every job, everything you do in your life gets you to where you are today. And if you like who you are and where you are today, especially if you like who you are, because sometimes you don't like where you are, Mm. but maybe you look at where you're going and you know that you're on the right track. Mm. But if you like who you are today, all the things that brought you there got you to this. And if you don't like who you are today, then you need to make some choices going forward to make sure that you make the changes that you need to make to get you to where you like yourself. And this is something Jill literally taught me because there was one day I was just, I I don't even remember exactly what it was about, but I was just like, oh, it was about flying. And it was uh, not long after I had this weird dream about my dad where he said, you realize this dream is not about flying, right? And I'm like, oh, dad's been gone for a year and he's still level setting me. And it was, <laughs> and it was all long, long after that that you said, well, why are you afraid of dying? And at that time, I'm like, well, it's because I don't know that Nina is going to get to stay with John the Brit and her brother. And she is so attached to them. I think that'd be too disruptive. And you're like, so right, I will. So do this. So do that. And I'm like, Oh, so between you and dad, <laughs> which is very high company. Me and dad uh, people, we can take care of you. That's damn straight you can, better than I can. So, but that got like, oh, so we went out and we wrote up a will and got all that. I got a will set up and everything. And I, that combined with dad telling me you're basically being a control freak. <laughs> So from beyond the grave, um, <laughs> that's a different episode. <laughs> I know. Um, I could give two shits now about flying. Yeah. So it's all good. Not that I'm not so nervous, but I'm a normal person nervous and not a, oh shit, everything's going to die nervous. Not it's a safe nervous. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing that I've learned. Um, so, I used to be very concerned that people weren't going to like me. And I admit that I'm the kind of personality, especially when I was younger, I think more than I am now, but I was the kind of personality that people either really liked me or really did not like me. There wasn't a lot of middle ground there. You're not Uh, a middle ground person. Not really. No. Uh, And so once I realized that there are just, there's just going to be people who don't like me and tough shit. (laughs) that's what happens when you're a person in the world and and there's nothing you can really do about it there's I mean 
you just live in the world and there are just people who are going to dislike you. And sometimes it's for literally no reason at all. You have a green shirt on and they don't like you. And that's it. That's literally the only reason. Um, and if you're trying very hard to live up to their expectations and they don't, they still don't like you, then what, just don't give a shit. I mean, why try? Because it's much better to be disliked for being your authentic self than love for being something fake. Uh, I got to ask, at what age did you figure that out? Like 33. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I thought you were going to say like 22 or something. No, that... no. I was way older than that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I finally beat you at something. You figured that out before me? I did. I should, you know. Wait, 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 wait. You figured out that people are going to dislike you and you don't care. To an extent. I was 66% of the way there. And, and here's. You figured it out before me. Uh, but I, two thirds of the way did. Uh, and here's why. Because I got divorced at 30. Uh-huh. And even though at the time I still really loved DB's family, I was like, they're never going to want to speak to me again. And I've got to figure out how to be okay with that because I'm going to be the villain and their son's story. And that's got to be okay. Now, it took me a while to extrapolate that beyond that. But that's the point. I I mean, at 30 is when I was kind of like, okay, I'm always going to be the villain in someone's story. And I've got to figure out how to deal with that. So, okay, maybe I wasn't dealing with it in all aspects yet, but I at least figured it out. I think it's a little different, but... I, I'll give you I'll give you like half credit. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. Because yes, I mean that's a very specific instance rather than just like getting off the subway and oh my god, that bitch hates me for no reason. <laughs> Probably because I think of her as a bitch. <laughs> Maybe. I just, you know, my whole life I've had people who just didn't like me and I couldn't figure out why because I'm a perfectly nice person. And, you know, I've even had people who told me that I wasn't a good person and I believed them. And so weird. Then when I learned, when I realized, no, fuck that. I'm a completely good person. And I was younger than that when I realized, oh, that's wrong. I am a good person. You know, I'm doing nice things for people and it's not because I felt obligated. It's just because that was the right thing to do. Um. So, yeah, I just kind of realized that I would much rather just be who I am and whoever likes me likes me and whoever doesn't, fuck them. Okay, to be fair, back in 1995, I sincerely thought you already had that shit all figured out because I was all in in 1995 terms. I can't remember what the term would have been then. Okay, so in 2020 terms, relating back to 1995, I'm like, look at all the fuck she's not given. (laughs) that's awesome so I think I gave the illusion of not giving fucks but I still gave some Mm. at that point I did not have the field of fallow fucks (laughs) (laughs) alright I'll accept that but from the outside from the exterior it totally looked like there were no fucks left but the one thing I was doing at that time is instead of like freaking out about who didn't like me I just tried to, like, be a better person for the people who did, you know? 
instead of trying to figure out ways to make the people who don't like me change their mind because they're not gonna. Um, I just try, I try every day to be a better friend or a better spouse or a better parent or just a better person in the world for the people who do like me. And that's why she's always, and I'm never. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you try to be better. I, you know, I do. I try to be better, but, um, you know, there are still times, even as an attorney, when I know I piss people off for a living, that I have to step back and go, okay, it's okay that they don't get it. It's okay that they are not taking the logical track to this because they are wound up in this particular position and that's okay. They're not going to like me and that's okay because I'm the enemy. There's still times at 47 when I have to remind myself of that shit. I just try really hard um, to... I don't want to say it. I try to put my time and energy into making the lives of those around me better. Mm. Um, And, you know, if I have enough energy left after that, then I try to make the world better. (laughs) You know, I want to, I want to be the light for people. And here's the thing by making their lives better, that by extension makes the world better because there are more people who are happier because you've made them happier are more likely to pay it forward. I hope so. I hope so. And I think that, you know, if you do that, if you are more comfortable in your own skin because you've accepted that, all right, some people aren't going to like me and I'm just not going to worry about it because the people who do like me, I'm a good person for them and I treat them well and I respect them and I do all the things for them that I can it makes my world an easier place to be. It makes it a more relaxing place to be. It's it's just better to be in my own skin. And once I stop, for me, once I stopped thinking about what other people were thinking and how other people are reacting to me or my choices or decisions or actions, it got to be really liberating because I could choose to do the things that made me happy. And I could choose to do the things that felt genuine and whether that's the job that I'm doing or my hairstyle or the tattoos that I get or, you know, the music that I listen to or, or whatever, it allows me to make the choices for myself rather than having to deal with other people's reactions, dictating my choices. That makes sense. And I will now confess, you do totally have me. I'm not there yet because my mom only knows about one of my tattoos. <laughs> one of the four. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. You know, she's 82. She doesn't need that stress. <laughs> I think that when you're being authentic, though, your, um, your contentment and your joy just kind of are magnified. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because even the more peaceful things give you more pleasure because you aren't devoting your energy elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that's true at work when I'm for me. And I think this is probably true for you too. The people that I supervise, I think would probably say that I'm an authentic 
manager. I tell them as much as I can, look, this is how it is. You just need to be this and stop fucking around and, you know, show up to work on time and don't screw up and don't tell people to fuck off and just be a real person and don't screw up. <laughs> I I hope so. I mean, the people I um, supervise at my last job, I, I definitely think I know that they were happy with me as a manager because I very much tried to help them amplify the things they had going well. And I would always try to pair them with someone that could accentuate what they weren't as skilled in. They could accentuate the positive, (laughs) eliminate the negative, and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Awesome. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. I actually had a thing last week where I felt horrible because I I had surgery last November. Okay, I got my work is having like, believe it or not, they put together a choir. Uh And I auditioned for the choir and I was told on the spot at the audition that I'd made the choir and I'm like, yay. And I'm like, if I hadn't been, I would have been offended. But I was all pleased yet that I had because that's how I am. I'm, I'm, I'm extreme. Um, either direction so but I I then had surgery back in November and I was off like six weeks where I was like I can't stand the thought of tightening my diaphragm because my stomach is going to scream at me that's Um, stomach diaphragm not vaginal diaphragm (laughs) (laughs) yeah because I don't need one of those because I not only you know condemned the factory I had it raised Uh, (laughs) same (laughs) and it's been life affirming and freeing um but then I got sick yeah yeah (laughs) hello um but then I got sick and I I got a massive sinus clog and all kinds of stuff and I could not sing and the direct choir director had said if you all can't show up at the Monday rehearsal you cannot perform Friday And I felt shitty as hell because I had a solo and I sent him the biggest apology email. Um, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't do this, uh, but I can't even pull my head out of the bed because it throbs too much and I don't know what to do. And I know what this means. I know it means I'm kicked off the solo Friday and I'm so sorry. And, um, I'm like, why did I, I mean, it's good to care because you have pride in what you do. But there's also like, sometimes there's no more than you can do. There's no more you can do than to apologize and move on. Yep. And you have to learn how to do that too. That's true. You do. And it sounds like that's what you did. Oh, no, I'm still obsessing about it and feeling shitty about it as hell. Oh, well, that's dumb. Yeah. I mean, I understand feeling (laughs) shitty about it in that way because you were letting somebody down. They were counting on you and you let them down. And that's a little bit different. Um, But... You know, in general, I think you have to just imagine that you do what you can do and then you move on. If you are letting somebody down, though, it's it's okay to, I don't think, obsess about it, but, you know. Yeah, but then you know me, so, you know, it's, but I digress. Um, Ooh, drink. Ooh, drink. I don't know if I can drink a whole lot more. It's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. And it sneaks up on you like a bitch. Yes, it does. Like a motherfucking well, bitch. I have a final thought 
You have a fennel stat? No. Okay. No thought. <laughs> oh, that makes way more sense. I have a fennel stat. Maybe I said <laughs> fennel stat. I don't know. I thought I said final thought. I'm sure you said what you thought you said, and I just suck. <laughs> I guess table towel, won't it? Yeah, it will. So here's my final thought. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes right down to it, you only have one life. One. So don't throw away your shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. You know? I'm not gonna throw away my shot. I'm not gonna throw away my shot. So choose happiness in general. Just choose happiness. It's a choice that people make. You can choose to be happy, you can choose to be miserable. I think Aunt Betty is a perfect example of somebody who does not choose happiness. Oh my gosh, you are not fucking kidding. I I don't know this for a fact, but I would be willing to bet a bunch of money that more people wish on their deathbed that they've been courageous and that they live their lives on their own terms instead of according to whatever they thought others expected. I doubt that there's anybody who is in the process of dying who thinks, boy, I wish I'd done more of what my mom wanted me to do, you know, (laughs) or... I wish I had lived up to the expectations of my parents. I think they're they're much more likely to think, I wish I had taken that chance. I wish I had done these things. I wish I hadn't worried so much about what other people were thinking about me and just taken advantage of the opportunities I was given. Mm. And um, I'm just going to read one quick description and then I'm going to get to my final thought because I, I can't leave things undone. And I mentioned Richard Feynman earlier. Okay. Quick description about the book, What Do You Care What Other People Think, Further Adventures of a Curious Character. Great book. Read it. I know it's been 27 years since I've read it, but here's the overall um, description of it. The second volume of Recollections, edited by Ralph Layton, centers on finals. You can leave out some of that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Read the description. (laughs) Okay. This description centers on Feynman's time on the committee that investigated the shuttle Challenger disaster, which was one of the defining things of our time. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gen Xer, I don't think you could find a Gen Xer anywhere who could not tell you where they were when the Challenger disaster happened. Um, it reveals the shockingly poor communication between engineers who built the shuttle and NASA management, culminating in Feynman's demonstration on live TV. The poignant title of this book comes from Feynman's first wife, who, de- who died of tuberculosis. You said poignant. The poignant title <laughs> of this book comes from Feynman's first wife, who died of tuberculosis. But, okay, so... Um, Point being, read the book. It's relevant. I, I shit you not. But I think um, the other thing is the biggest takeaway. My final thought from this is kind of what I said earlier. You are undoubtedly the villain in someone else's story. And you've got to figure out how to live your life at peace with that. Yeah. And once you can, doesn't matter what other anxieties you have or eccentricities or anything. If you can accept that, no matter what, you're the villain in someone else's story, you've come further than a huge amount of the population. And congratulations, you kick ass. Yeah, absolutely. And they aren't thinking about you anyway. Mm-hmm. So to sum it up, don't be a pansy. <laughs> Pansies are pretty, though. Yeah, but they're also very, very fragile. Okay, there's that. Okay. 
More so than, I'm glad you didn't say don't be a pussy, because as I said in a per, uh, previous episode, those things can take a pounding. So oh, absolutely. I would never say that. You rock. You're not the villain in my story, biatch. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Anyway, um, so I think we should probably close. And come um, Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, whatever. Uh, as always, stop by and visit our website, alwaysneverwrite.com. You'll see the topics for every episode along with what we're drinking that day. Like today, we're drinking the, what's it called? Stingy Bastard? Whatever. Suffering Bastard. Suffering, Suffering. Bastard. Suffering Bastard. So take a peep at the contact page. You'll see all the links to the social media junk and the email address there. So you can always text us um, all over social media. You can email us too. Yes, you can. And obviously, since you're listening to us, you know how to find us. But um, tell your friends. And uh, they, yeah, because we would love if they could come find us and hear my drunken ramblings too. We so um, yeah, wherever they <laughs> Wherever they get their digital media, um, we'd also love for you to leave us a glowing positive recommendation whenever you can listen to us. Yep. And and if you um, have constructive feedback to share with us, um, slide into our DMs, biatches, and hit us up on Facebook. Yeah. This has been a zero fucks given episode of Always. <laughs> Never. Right. I'm Jill. And I'm Gina, and thank you again so much for making us part of your week. And we'll talk again more next week, medals. Standard disclaimer. Always Never Write is in no way, shape, or form performed or produced by professional advice givers. We've just lived a lot. So if any of our life experiences prove useful, we're happy to share, especially if we can share in an entertaining way. But if you have serious problems, please see a therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, life coach, or someone who is actually trained to know what the hell they're doing when passing out advice. Also, please note that most names and the descriptions of many events have been modified to both make things more entertaining and to protect the innocent, the not-so-innocent, and the flat-out guiltiest said assholes.